the Christian message, and we've been hearing the Christian message this morning, haven't we? And so if you'd like to open your Bibles to the book of Colossians, I'm going to be continuing my, mess- my series of messages in the book of Colossians and uh, continue to share what the Apostle Paul has outlined for us and what I really think encapsulates uh, a very central part of the Christian message. So, one more time, bow with me. Lord, now speak to us. Help me, Lord, particularly to have your grace and strength. May you be honored and glorified because Jesus truly is worthy. In his name we pray. Amen. We've been talking about culture. We've been talking about how we as believers in the Lord Jesus live in a culture. We call it a culture of religious pluralism. Some might say it's a post-Christian culture. However we might want to describe it, um, we uh, live within a culture that sometimes pushes back against the Christian message. Those who study American culture in the context of Christianity list several complaints that people list as things that turn people away. And at the top of the list is this. They think that the Christian message is judgmental and negative. Now, as we talk with people in the culture that say that, and we try to unpack their thoughts, usually what happens is they say, well, you talk about the forgiveness of sin. And sin to American culture is offensive. I was sharing the gospel with a man uh, not too long ago, and I was talking with him about how Jesus Christ can, can lift the burden of sin from his life. And here's what he said to me. He said, I'll take care of my own problems. I don't need Jesus to do it for me. It kind of encapsulates what people are thinking, because we don't like to be reminded that there are things within us that are hard and that that are problems that we ourselves can't deal with because of course we as Americans are used to pulling ourselves up from our own with our own bootstraps. Add that to our cultural permissiveness that seems to be growing where the lines between right and wrong and good and evil are increasingly fuzzy. And so um perhaps we might want to consider talking about this concept of Forgiveness of sin with a different image, and I'd like to suggest that today. It comes from a movie uh, that was back in the 1980s called The Grand Canyon. And in this movie of The Grand Canyon, the opening scene is a guy that's uh, portrayed as, you know, a pretty influential guy. He's got, you know, pretty cool threads on, you know. And he's got the, the latest hairstyle, and he's driving a fancy import sports car. And the scene opens with him headed towards uh, the um, interstate. And he's driving down the interstate, and he's, he's looking at his watch, and we all get the impression he's on his way to an important appointment. And he keeps looking at his watch, and, and he, he enters into a part of the freeway where the traffic begins to slow and up about a mile ahead he sees red lights and blue lights 
and he knows that there's an accident and all of a sudden the traffic comes to a stop. And he looks at his watch and he knows he's not going to make his an appointment. So he looks just a little bit ahead and he finds an exit. And so he thinks, well, I'm going to get off and I'm going to go through the residential streets and I'll bypass this um, this accident and I'll get, get around it. So he goes over on the shoulder and he zooms ahead of everyone and he gets on this exit and he exits and he starts going through the neighborhoods. And as he goes through the neighborhoods, he realizes that uh, these are neighborhoods where he really doesn't fit in with his sports car and fancy clothes and fancy haircut. And he's looking around and he says, man, I am really out of place in this place. And of course, then you know what happens. This car begins to sputter. And pretty soon, it stalls and comes to a halt. And he looks over on the street corner and there's some guys over there that don't look very friendly towards him and they look at him. And so he reaches into his car and he gets his cell phone and he calls a tow truck. And he locks the doors in his cars. And pretty soon, a few more people, men, uh, gather on the street corner. And he's waiting and he's waiting. And pretty soon, there's more guys on the street corner. And then, led by one person who apparently is the leader, they begin walking towards this sports car. And just as they get there, the tow truck shows up. And a guy shows up in the tow truck and he gets out and he, he rolls down the window and talks to the guy and he begins to back up to put this sports car on his tow truck. And the leader of this group of guys says to him, no, 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 this guy belongs to us. And so the tow truck driver goes up to the leader of this group and he says this, man, The world ain't supposed to work like this. Maybe you don't know that, but this ain't the way it's supposed to be. I'm supposed to be able to do my job without asking you if I can. And that dude over there is supposed to be able to wait in his car without you ripping him off. Everything's supposed to be different than what it is here. This is not the way... It's supposed to be. That's what sin is. Whenever it's not the way it's supposed to be, it's because of sin. You see, the way it's supposed to be is the way it was in the Garden of Eden. And in the Garden of Eden, we have what's called shalom. We have this perfect way that it's supposed to be. One writer says that shalom is the universal flourishing, wholeness and delight, a rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts fruitfully employed, a state of affairs that inspires joyful wonder at the Creator. He is worthy. And Savior opens doors and speaks welcome to His creatures in whom He delights. Shalom, in other words, is the way things are supposed to be. But that all disappeared when Adam and Eve decided they knew better than God and they walked their own way and shalom 
was shattered. So discussing this idea of sin is important for us because when we break shalom, the Bible teaches that God and man are separated because a holy God cannot be in relationship with sinful people. And if we don't understand the problem, we can't embrace the solution. And the Christian message is, there is a solution. A wonderful solution. The good news of Jesus Christ is the solution. And that good news tells us that decisive steps to defeat and restore shalom have been taken. Here's a verse that summarizes what God did. God who reconciled us to himself through Christ, was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. This passage tells us that God took the initiative, the first step, the decisive step. And in spite of our sinfulness, God rescued us and from all that stands between us and God, and he restored shalom. And he made things the way they're supposed to be. That's what Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, beginning with verse 19. Open your Bibles with me. Let's read how Paul explains this whole idea, which we know as reconciliation or restoring shalom. Verse 19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God, and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Shalom was broken. This is not the way it's supposed to be. But now, verse 22, he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish, free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven of which I, Paul, have become a servant. These verses explain four accomplishments of God in reconciliation. Four ways that God made things the way they're supposed to be. Four things. First, in Christ... God established peace or shalom through reconciliation. Now, I think we may, maybe should be a little bit more theologically precise and say God reestablished peace. Because there was shalom in the Garden of Eden, it was broken, and now through Christ, He reestablished. So just put that in your notes if you want to. God reestablished shalom. The reconciliation. 
verse 20 specifically tells us this. The thought of these verses that God made peace. God restored shalom. Well, how did he do that? Well, notice verse 19. I want to focus in on the first words of this point. In Christ, God reconciled or reestablished peace. In verse 19, Paul tells us that there was a fullness that was in Jesus Christ. All the fullness of God was in Jesus Christ. There was a false teaching that was invading the Colossian culture. And that false teaching uh, was coming into the church. And that, said, that teaching said that there were supernatural spirits. There were supernatural powers. And if you really wanted to get into the action, you'd want to have a deeper fullness of your spiritual experience with these additional spiritual forces. Oh, Jesus is good. But if you really want the action, you need these more spiritual, deeper spiritual forces. We talked about that last week. That's what's called religious pluralism. It's all over our culture too. But Paul clearly addresses these words by saying that God in all his fullness was pleased to determine or chose to dwell in Christ. There's nothing about Jesus that needed to be more full. <laughs> Jesus was the fullest, if we might use a, a vernacular word, that he could possibly be. Only in Christ is fullness to be found. Jesus, as we said last week, is the perfect image of the invisible God. There's nothing more that could happen that is not present in Jesus. Therefore, it was in all of his fullness that God was pleased to reconcile all things through Christ. Through his blood on the cross, he established his divine authority. He demonstrated his sovereign power over creation, over the church, in Christ. And verse 20 tells us that all things were reconciled to God in Christ. Verse 20, things on earth and things in heaven. What does that mean? Well, Bible teachers and scholars take this verse to mean that God imposed a cosmic shalom on the world. A universal peace. An establishment of the authority of Jesus over all spiritual realms. Listen to me as I read for us Ephesians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth and under the earth in Christ. Now, Ephesians 1 tells us that this will happen in time. This will happen when God establishes the universal peace in the new heaven and the new earth. So right now, Paul is talking about something that will happen in the future. That God reconciled all spiritual forces to himself and it will be firmly in place at the end times. 
But what about now? Well, listen to Colossians chapter 2, and we're going to talk about this in depth in a couple of weeks. Verse 15. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. You see, it was God's good pleasure. He was pleased to restore spiritual shalom by disarming the spiritual authorities and the the spirits um, that are around us by forcing them into submission to Jesus. It was God's good pleasure. And this was possible because the fullness of God dwelt in Jesus. The fullness of God dwelt in Jesus. Therefore, in his work on the cross, there's nothing more to have happen that has not already happened. And the spiritual forces are now subject to Jesus. Do they still um, harass us? Yes. But they're disarmed by Jesus. And they are under his authority and they do have, they have no authority except what God gives them by his permissive will. This is a picture of the eternal state. And we look forward to it. But now we have the assurance that he is in control because he has disarmed them. And so this verse is talking about the future shalom that will be in place in the end time. And in Christ, there is a future reestablishment of the shalom that was broken in the Garden of Eden. But what about us now? <laughs> what, about, what about those of us who need encouragement now? Well, secondly, verse 21 tells us that God established or possibly re-established personal fellowship with himself in reconciliation. Look at what verse 21 tells us. Verse 21 tells us that we were alienated from God. That means that, in effect, we would try to approach God, but we couldn't get there because we were separated from him. We were alienated from him. And then verse 21 also tells us that not only were we separated from him, but we were enemies. And so he portrayed us as being under his wrath. We were his enemies. So it's kind of like both directions. We tried to get to God, no access. And when he looked at us, we were objects of wrath. We were were his enemies. Bad situation. (laughs) But Paul tells us that in Christ, God took care of all that. In the cross of Christ, Jesus satisfied the wrath of God. Jesus redeemed us from the curse. Jesus declared us not guilty and declares us righteous in him by faith. And because of all that Jesus Christ has done, we are now reconciled to him. We are no longer alienated from him. We are no longer his enemies. He now looks at us and he, and he opens his arms to us and said, I want to adopt you into my family. 
I want you to be my children. I want you to have unaltered fellowship with me. I want you to have access to me. I want to be a friend to you. And see, as we are, as God comes to us and he offers us this, we have the restoration of personal fellowship with him. Boy, that's good news, isn't it? So not only do we have a re-established peace for eternity, we also have a re-established personal fellowship with him. And thirdly, verse 22, God proclaimed his justice in reconciliation. His justice. Now, let's talk about justice for a minute. It's a huge issue in our culture, isn't it? Um, probably one of the biggest issues in our culture. And you'll hear this on the political trail. You'll hear it in novels. You'll hear it in movies. You'll see it portrayed on TVs. Justice is something that we long for. There, there seems to be an innate hunger for justice in this world. The Bible clearly tells us that where there is an offense, there must be justice for that offense. And so I think this longing for justice is a biblical concept. And so the Bible teaches us that the wages of sin is death. There has to be justice when a person commits sin, when things are not the way they're supposed to be. There must be something to happen to set it right. Well, what set it right? Paul mentions in verse 20, the blood of Jesus shed on the cross. That set it right. Paul mentions the, 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 the body of Christ given as a sacrifice for our sins. That set it right. Paul mentions the death of Jesus. The death he died. He died to sin in relationship to sin. That set it right. And when Jesus Christ went to the cross... He paid the penalty for our sin. And when God then reconciled us to himself, it was a reconciliation based on justice. Because the price has been paid. I think the greatest paragraph ever written is in Romans chapter 3. I want to read it together with you. Romans chapter 23. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. You know what atonement is? Atonement is making things the way they're supposed to be. That's what atonement is. So Paul says that God presented Christ as a way to make things the way they're supposed to be. How did he do that? Through the shedding of his blood. To be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. What do you mean by that? Well, in the Old Testament, you remember that in order for the Day of Atonement to happen, they'd have to offer sacrifices of animals, right? And so when the people offered sacrifices of animals, and they did it in faith, in obedience, trusting that God would keep his word, God declared them forgiven. But there was no justice because the blood of bulls and goats could not forgive sin. So what did God do? He put their sins on his divine credit card. 
and he just held the justice for those sins on his account. And he says, you are forgiven, genuinely forgiven, but justice hasn't happened yet. That's not going to happen until the future. Well, the future came in Jesus Christ. And when, God, when Jesus Christ went to the cross, God paid off the credit card. He paid the debt. And that's what this verse says. In his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. But verse 26, he went to the cross to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. And so when God says to him, opens his arms to us and says, be reconciled to me. I've done everything that needs to be happening. Come to me. Become my beloved child. Let me adopt you into my family. We can't say, but that just doesn't feel right. Be assured, the price has been paid. It is a just reconciliation. And when God accomplished reconciliation, he declared, justice has been made. One more accomplishment in the, in the cross. And that is verse 22 and 23. Not only has God reestablished shalom, not only has he reestablished fellowship, not only has he proclaimed justice, but in reconciliation, God provides assurance. He provides assurance. The present perspective on assurance is in verse 22. What has he done? First, he presents us holy in his sights. Right there in verse 22. He presents us without blemish. And he presents us free from accusation. All those things have been presently done for us. This is the Christian message. This is the present assurance. But there's also a future perspective, and that's found in verse 23, if you continue in your faith. Well, what does that mean? If you continue in your faith. Well, Bible teachers give two alternatives. One, it could mean if you continue in your faith, but I doubt that you will. That's one possibility, possible way to, but I don't think that fits with the book of Colossians. I think what the book of Colossians says, if you continue in your faith, as I'm sure you will. How does Colossians say that? Well, let's do a little bit of Bible study. So keep your fingers open to chapter 1 of Colossians and let's go back and look through some of the verses in Colossians 1. Verse 21 says, once we were alienated. Look back at verse 12. We share in the inheritance of God's holy ones. Assurance. Verse 21 tells us that once we were hostile in mind and evil deeds. But look at verses 9 and 10. Now our calling is the knowledge of God and every good deed. Sounds pretty certain, doesn't it? Look at verse 13. Now we are rescued from the power of darkness. Sounds pretty certain to me. Now look at verse 22. Those who are reconciled through the death of Christ. 
Look at verse 6. We are now bearing fruit that is growing throughout the whole world. Pretty certain to me. Verse 13. We are transferred into his kingdom. Pretty certain to me. Verse 14. We are those who have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Pretty certain to me. And verse 22. We are holy, blameless, and irreproachable. See, given all that Paul tells us, it must mean that if we continue in our faith, and I'm certain that you will, that's great assurance that our reconciliation means that our relationship with God will remain. Therefore, here's what happens. Verse 23, we will persevere. Verse 23, we will remain established and firm. Verse 23, we will not move from the hope held out in the gospel. We have assurance. Why? Because in Christ, God reconciled us to himself. In Christ, God made everything that's not the way it's supposed to be. (laughs) He now made it the way It's supposed to be. See, that's the Christian message of reconciliation. So let me quickly give you three practical applications. One, we have this salvation. Receive it by faith. It's an offer. Receive it by faith. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 5. For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Receive the reconciliation that God has accomplished for you. He's opening his arms to you. Be reconciled to me, he says. I've done everything that needs to be done. Become one of mine. Join my forever family. Let's walk in life the way it's supposed to be. Secondly, we have a family relationship. Thank God for it. Thank God for your Christian brothers and sisters. We have a family Well, Jesus said to all who receive him, or John says to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become God's children. Born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. We have a family. We have a family. And third, we have access to God in prayer. Pray often, and then pray some more. (laughs) We're not God's enemies anymore. We have access to him. Come boldly to the throne of grace. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. That's the Christian message. It's a message that God 
has reconciled us to himself. God is a reconciling God. And he has made all things that are not the way they're supposed to be. He's made them the way they are supposed to be. In Christ, we have reconciliation. Do you have it today? Are you walking in reconciliation today? Invitation is open. Shall we pray? Father in heaven, we thank you that you have done in Jesus Christ all that needs to be done. And you are now opening your arms, inviting us to be reconciled to you. It comes by faith. Because in your grace, you have already done what is necessary. And I pray that we would joyfully respond to your invitation and say, yes, I want to be adopted into your family. I want to be reconciled to you. I don't want to be separated. I don't want to live in broken shalom. I want to live in shalom with you. Looking forward to that day when all the cosmic forces will no longer be against you and realizing that even now those cosmic forces are disarmed and under your authority. I want to be friends with you. I want fellowship with you. Lord, I want to know that justice has been accomplished and walk in the assurance that you have done what needs to be done. And Father, I pray that you would give me great joy in the assurance that I have that I will persevere in this life. So come into my life anew today. I renew my commitment to you and I thank you that in reconciliation I can live a relationship with you the way it's supposed to. To be. You don't have to stand. You don't have to raise your hand. You don't even have to say a prayer. Just believe in your heart that this is so. And God will give you the assurance of reconciliation. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.